For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. I'm joined as always by my co-host Larry Hughes. Larry, how's your uh, how's your week going so far? Uh, the week's going well. How, how's it going with you? I'm just getting more and more excited about basketball returning. I think uh, TBT announced today they're going to do July fourth uh, through the fourteenth. Fourteenth is actually my birthday, so that's a pretty good birthday celebration to get a little hoops to watch. So excited about Happy that! Happy birthday! Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think the NBA is looking closer. It sounds like first week of August. And uh, this week we wanted to do sort of a, a mailbag edition and let people have, you know, some some feedback and some input on what we talk about. And one of the more frequent questions was about playoff structure and how this sort of play-in is going to work. And then what do we think the the Wizards prospects will, will be like? So sort of just to recap, I guess, a little bit about what we talked about last week. Everybody of the 22 teams in, nine from the East, 13 from the West, will play eight games to kind of juggle seeding. The Wizards are currently five and a half back of Orlando for the eighth seed and six games back of Brooklyn, who's in the seventh spot. If they can get that to four games, that would force a play-in series. The Wizards would have to win twice. Whoever was the you know incumbent eighth seed, whether that's Brooklyn or Orlando, would only have to win once. So with that, Larry, what do you think? Do you like their chances? You know what? I, I think it depends on the schedule. I think it depends on you know just the amount of focus. Um, I think it depends on what the team is feeling like if we actually, you know, make this run and we make it to the playoffs, you know, what's our actual, are we actual contenders? Um, so I think a lot of things will go into, you know, that, that thought process, but I think, you know, really what you can ask for is a chance. Mm-hmm. So if you get a chance to win games, to play games, you have to go all out, you know, and try to win those games. So I'm happy with, with the setup and get a chance to get some games played and, and have some fun. You know, the, the Wizards are obviously 24 and 40 on the year, not a stellar record, but they seem to play pretty well against some of the better teams and, and enough to show that they can be kind of dangerous, um, you know, in a shortened format like that. So while I wouldn't rule them out, they were 0-4 against Orlando this year. So trying to beat them two times in a row, even if you do kind of close the gap, I think that's probably the more challenging part than than making up ground. I think the other thing the NBA said was that the uh, the remaining game schedule would be based on their original schedule and, and the teams that are sort of left, um, you know, in that 22-team bubble. And that includes for them, like, Boston, Milwaukee, the Lakers, Toronto. Like, it, if, if that ends up being the eight games and five of them are against teams like that, that might ruin their chances pretty quickly, though. Yeah, just, I mean, it just speaks to you know, the position that you put yourself in for that late playoff run. And we've experienced it just with a, a wide gap 
But yeah, you put yourself in behind the eight ball when you have to win games against those caliber teams to to make a spot for yourself, and it, it's going to be tough. I'm curious. I don't know if if they've talked about this at all. I hadn't heard anything about how you sort of maybe not prevent tanking necessarily, but if you're the Wizards and Orlando wins two right out of the gate and you lose two, that makes the the prospect pretty tough, like right from the start. And if I were the team at that point, I would sit Beal down and, and clear the bench and play all the young guys. But I don't know if there's anything, any safeguards in place from the NBA perspective, because nobody's going to want to watch, you know, Phoenix play Washington if both teams don't want to win at that point. Yeah, I think it's going to be completely up to the team's discretion on how they move forward, how they strategize. Uh, because like you said, the league, it's going to be hard for them to mandate players play or they play at full strength you have to look at the totality of the situation understand where your team is at and understand there's a very quick turnaround uh, for the 2021 season so I think that the league is going to it's going to be must that they allow teams to do you know strategize the, the best they see fit I've seen a lot of comments online here about all oh, the Wizards shouldn't even try to win just keep the lottery pick but I definitely think they'll They'll go at it pretty hard early and then just sort of sort of see where they're at. But I think it can also kind of help inform, you know, roster decisions a little bit too. I'm seeing a few more data points of Shabazz Napier out there with Beal and Bertans and guys like that. It's to Tommy Shepard's benefit, I would think. I think so. And it's for those guys that need it. The guys that have been on layoff that have been working extremely hard. These guys that aren't on max deals or long-term deals but are really still trying to make their way. So their clock their clock doesn't stop because of the situation that we're in. So I'm all for you know, those guys getting that exposure again because now you're not just auditioning for that team that you're on. I mean, you're auditioning for Holy. You know, all those other teams that are in the league, and that's very, very important. Uh, one of the other sort of related questions we got, um, got an email from Alan wanting to know if – uh, the Wizards should sign anyone to help them down the stretch. Uh, the NBC Sports Washington put out an article that said here are 10 guys that were currently free agents that the Wizards would actually be eligible to sign and add to the roster for the remaining eight games. So uh, DeMarcus Cousins, a popular name in D.C., was on that list. I don't even know if he's healthy enough to do that. But they also had some more veteran guys like Amon Shumpert, Alan Crabb, Paul Gasol, uh, Anthony Tolliver, Joe Johnson, who's also playing TBT, Tyler Johnson, Trey Burke, and then two of the younger-ish guys were were Jordan Bell, who had joined the G League team late, and then Justin Anderson, who was on the team during training camp. Do you like that idea of adding a veteran guy at this point for for that push, or would you kind of ride with who you got? I, I would ride with with who we have. It's not unless we're thinking about bringing this guy into our, our, our long term future or our mm-hmm. short term future, uh, so to speak, running into to next season. Uh, to allow extra time to allow to see how a guy mixes with your current group, uh, see if there's chemistry there, uh, but not just for the sole purpose of, of competing in, you know, this, this tournament format. But if there's some, some short-term, then long-term benefit uh, to certain guys, depending on age and, and role and responsibility, I would, I would take a look at it just for those reasons. Yeah, I, th- I think, I'm totally in agreement with you there. Like Cousins would be an interesting one just from uh, if he is healthy, he's obviously an impact player and he and Wall are still close. So maybe even before deciding for next year, you get a short look at how he's bounced back. But but adding like Gasol, who's pushing 40, 
that you probably don't bring back for next year. Like I, I don't see what the advantage of that would be just to maybe try to beat or, out Orlando. And if you're him, why would you want to do that? I mean, knowing that they might shut you down after two or three games. Yeah, I mean, there's no um, you know name for for sales for ticket sales or anything like that that's going on. <laughs> there's no there's no fans, so exactly. I wouldn't I wouldn't think that that would be a good route. Uh, Jordan Bell seems to be the name out of that list that's most resonated with the fan base. Obviously played a little bit for Golden State, so he has some some postseason experience, but is still young. And the Wizards obviously like him enough to have brought him in to the G League team. But I'd rather actually see them convert somebody off the G League team that they've been looking at and, and just kind of see what the fit is. Maybe one of the two-way guys you convert or something like that. I would agree. I, I would agree. If you've been talking about system and culture and all of these things that make the most sense as far as building that winning culture that you're, you're talking about, you know, there, there's an in-house group that I'm sure could fit, fit that bill. Speaking of this sort of play in here too, I think one of the, the things that's come up in the last couple of days is that now some of the players are expressing concerns about, about what the NBA has come up with plan wise. And the pushback is, well, you know, your union voted for this, but, can you speak a little bit, Larry, to how much as a player you actually pay attention to a lot of these union votes and things like that? Like, is that really representative of what the majority of guys actually feel? Or do you lean really heavily on your rep to kind of voice for you? Well, I was always one that would want to voice for myself, uh, either through myself or my agent or someone that's that's personally close to me. Um, the, the union is going to speak for, for everyone, obviously, and they're going to speak for uh, those higher tier guys that create the most attention um, their voices their words or carry a lot more weight uh, than that minimum guy that's on that you know that one-year deal uh, so I think that that's very important to understand the landscape of, of the conversations that are happening uh, between the players uh, where are these players marked at you know what's their you know, what's their status uh, because guys are going to have different opinions on what's the value of actually going out and playing uh, versus um, staying in your environment and being as healthy as possible or, or safe as possible. So I think it, it goes both ways. But for me, I, I want to understand the information for myself. I want to have the ability to voice my own concerns um, because it's not in totality. We, we don't have the same concerns. We don't all have the same uh, living experiences, whether it be older family members, whether it be kids, whether it be you know, different people that are immune suppressed. So I think that it has to be, obviously, we want to come in with a voice, but you need to make sure that you have that individual word, that, that voice to, to make sure that we as individuals are heard. And I don't blame these guys for getting to the altar and saying, uh, uh, let me think about this again, because it is a very, very uh, important decision. I think things like that, you don't really sort of fully think about it until it becomes real. And, and now we're like, a month away from these guys having to head down to Orlando, it's like you have the oh shit moment of, uh, do I really want to do this? And that, that's got to be tough. And one of the names that keeps coming up is is James Harden. I guess he, he's got asthma. So he's somebody that if he did get COVID, it, it could be, you know, amplified for someone that already has um, respiratory issues. So I think that's a bad PR move for the NBA if you have somebody that high profile that just kind of opts out at the last minute from a, a real playoff team. Well, you know what? I think it turns into a real life situation and that's a job that we all do. Uh, but our health is, is very important. And although we expect for these guys to entertain, your health is more important. So there's a respect factor that comes in is that obviously there's a, a business that we want to protect. But 
if there's no player, there's no business. So we have to make sure that the players are first and foremost uh, in front. Uh, if you were one of these guys getting ready to head down to Orlando, what are kind of the couple key things you might, you know, what are the first couple questions you're, you're asking or trying to find out the answer to? Uh, really just the testing, uh, understanding the testing, understanding how fast we can get these tests back um, in the event that someone within the bubble or within the, within the team uh, is infected or is, is testing positive, you know, what are the next steps? Um, how, you know, how really efficient is that, is that process going to take? I mean, how long are we going to get the person that's infected removed from the situation? I mean, there's just a lot of questions that I would have, and I'm, I'm really thankful that I'm not in the situation to make the decision um, to play the, the, the rest of the season out uh, versus, versus staying home. So I'm, you know, I give a lot of credit to these guys that are really pushing. Uh, it's, it's part of their job. It's part of their livelihood. It's part of the excitement that they bring. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm on this side of the table. Uh, but I respect both, both views for sure. My response to those questions at 22 would have been a lot different than they are now at, at 31. And if you've got a wife or kids or, like you said, older parents, it, it's just you know totally different things you got to think about to, yeah. to try to make sure that everybody around you is safe too. That was kind of the majority of the Disney-related questions here. One of the next questions we got on on Twitter uh, was from, actually, it was on uh, the Bullets Forever message board from either G Avalon or, or Gavilon55. Uh, prospects have their three-point shots sort of heavily scrutinized nowadays. How much emphasis was placed on that during your time? Was it was it really as big a priority to make sure you're you know sound from three, or, or is that point to the game now? It, it points to the game now. Obviously, the main focus was can you make shots. It wasn't necessarily can you make shots from distance or three-point. Uh, it's can you make shots. And really starting out the game, I mean, when I came in, it was really a mid-range game uh, because there was, you know, from inside out, everyone was in the paint, so there wasn't, wasn't a lot of layups. So that's really, you know, where I came in at. And as the game has evolved, there's more space. Um, and obviously, if you use that three-point line to create that space, then you're going to get more three-point shots taken. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily a focus. Those guys that, that shot the ball from, from distance, they were really specialists, you know, during, during my early years and really transitioning on through those years. Those guys that shot the ball from three were specialists. Everyone else kind of played both ends of the court um, and was able to get to the mid-range game. Did you see teams put more of an emphasis on, on that even by the end of, of your career? On the three-point shot, for sure. For sure, because that's when spacing, our, our rules begin to change. Sure. Um, our rules begin to change as far as to where defenders can be. Uh, your 2.9 rule, uh, guys couldn't just stand in the paint. Uh, so that just created more space. And now, like I said, with more space, to close out to a three-point shooter that's 30 feet away from the basket, you know, is very tough. So if you're hitting that at a 35 40% clip, that that's special. Now we look at guys that we kind of applaud them if they can shoot from 30 feet away, but if you'd have come out as a, you know, a 19 year old rookie and shot a 30 footer, how, you know, how would your teammates have received that in, in the late nineties? Oh, you sent straight to the locker room, <laughs> straight to the locker room. You might've been sent home with no shower. <laughs> I, I came in with Larry Brown. So you would hear son, son, and probably the horn and the buzzer, you know, right after that, you know, sending you to the locker room, if not home. That's kind of what I figured. <laughs> and yeah. It's wild to see, see what people, uh, prioritize now um so 
One of the other questions we got was about personnel for for the current Wizards team. And I think this one is sort of a a multiple choice answer here. So uh, what's the most pressing need for the Wizards? Uh, More physical presence in the middle, an upgrade at small forward, a point guard to groom after John Wall, or a coaching change? If you had to pick one of those three things to emphasize. I, I would say the presence in the middle. And the presence in the middle that gives us an active big uh, that's a, that's able to switch and guard multiple positions. Uh, so that's a, a guy with some size, with some girt, but also with some good feet. And mm-hmm. I think that can be an anchor for our defense. And though we don't talk about defense a lot, uh, it's, it's, it's based on offense. But if you can have an anchor as a big that's also active, can get out on the floor, you know, you can start to you know, create a culture that's based on defense and winning championships. You hear most um, of the fan base kind of clamor for, for a rim protector specifically, but I think you hit on like a really huge point there with, with a guy that has the footwork and, and the lateral quickness to switch out on guys and, and cut off a ball handler and stuff like that. That's, I think, probably the biggest thing I think they're missing too. Yeah, that is very important. I think when we talk about rim protector, we, we forget to use positioning. And positioning is very important when you're rim, when you're protecting the rim, uh, because you're always reacting. Position is 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 king. So those that those those big guys that, um, like I said, can get out there and 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 switch out on the floor, but also have footwork that can get back in position to now protect the rim, whether that's contesting shot, whether that's taking a charge. But those are the guys that you know that I'm kind of you know looking for to to help the situation. I still kind of hold out hope that guys like Thomas Bryant and Mo Wagner, as they get older and tougher and stronger, they can be more physical, you know, one-on-one defense against a Joel Embiid or even a Giannis. But I still don't see either of those guys maybe projecting super well in kind of the, the role we're talking about there. So I'd agree with yeah, you. Yeah, it's just the expectation. And like you said, these guys have to get older. They have to grow. They have to mature. They have to understand the pro game, uh, communication, uh, be that anchor. Um you know, be the be the line of defense that is is about communication. And as a guy coming in, I mean, you have to you have to learn that with experience. So you're talking, you know, five, six, seven, eight years in, where you really understand, you know, the concept. And some guys are, are moved up faster than that. Uh, but for the majority, you know, you are talking about the veteran guys. And right now, the veteran guys are, are younger because they're coming in so early. So it still makes sense. What you hit on there is huge too. I think a lot of people have kind of suggested that the Wizards should try to take a big to you know shot blocking big in the first couple picks and that'll really push us over the top for next year but it's just so hard to come in and be an impact defender you know your first year or two in the league I would think especially as a big because normally those guys have underdeveloped cores Mm -hmm. so the strength that they have to transition into the pro game you're going to talk about this kid needs to develop you know and then you start to talk about development then some of those kids turn into projects. So you don't want to waste, you know, those picks, those very needed picks on those situations that you have to be a project or groom too much. And, and one of the follow-ups to that, I think on the personnel standpoint was, uh, who would you like to see as the Wizards backup point guard for next year? And the options they listed were Shabazz Napier, Ish Smith, uh, Isaac Bunga, which I think is an interesting suggestion, suggestion as, a, as a point guard here, or, or someone not currently on the team, whether that's a free agent or a draft pick? I guess that's sort of the other choice. Um, well, I think you have within with Ish, you have a guy that that's a change of pace guy, even though John Wall is fast. I mean, Ish is like 
ultra fast. And you're probably losing a little bit of that now, but he's a guy that's experienced. And I think he's a guy that's not necessarily looking out for his numbers. So it's going to be important that with, with Bill and with Hachi coming up, that you have someone that you're grooming that understands how to allow everyone else to eat. And whether that's Shabazz, I mean, he's, he's a little bit younger. Uh, he has some offensive capabilities. It's just about mindset, having conversations with him about what are his goals, what's his focus, what, what is his focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way with understanding which players you should bring in and talk to because they'll tell you exactly what they're out for uh, if, if, you, if you have a conversation with them. Uh, that's really interesting. And I kind of didn't consider that from uh, just being transparent about what they're, you know, what you're looking to do. If, if Napier wants to be a guy that comes in and scores 12 a game next year, and uh, it doesn't really matter for you if, yeah, maybe he's the better defender of the two, it doesn't allow you to kind of fill the right, right role, I guess. For sure. And then the next one is sort of that small forward position. Uh, and it was sort of a two pronger, it, it, the question is basically, is it time to give up on Troy Brown Jr. and or Isaac Bonga yet? And uh, Isak Bonga, I think is probably the better pronunciation there. They're both young, both relatively new to the team. This was each of their, um, you know, real full seasons playing for the Wizards. And they didn't even get a full season in since Troy didn't play much last year. What do you think either or both of those guys? Uh, well, I, I know Troy a little bit more. And I think, like you said, but they're both young guys who are trying to understand what the culture what they bring to the table and one man's garbage is another man's treasure is, is how I always look at it in the NBA uh, because there's definitely different skill sets different players bring to the table that just may vary just in a different system or different you know style of play that you may not get in your system uh, but for these guys that are young that are you know you see some promise uh, they've been handicapped a little bit by the experience this year it's not time to get give up on those guys. Uh, it, it's time to clean the slate, obviously, as you as you roll into a new season, because this this startup that we're going to go to is still going to be different. I don't think that they're going to you're going to see the best impact from from these guys. But I think it is important that we um, give them a chance. You know, give them a chance at least for a full season uh, under the guidelines, under the culture, and see what see what happens. You know, maybe you know enough as a GM to say, all right, this guy's never going to turn into a star wing for me, or, but it doesn't mean that they can't fill you know, some kind of role. And if you're on a rookie deal, you're still a cost-effective asset for the team. I think one thing that, that Troy Brown has talked about a lot uh, over the last month or two is trying to get quicker so that he could guard point guards because he is a pretty good ball handler. So maybe he could even be sort of a you know, facilitator for you off the bench in, in that kind of role. Yeah, I think, too, it's, it's good to have conversation with these guys to understand what their goals are, uh, because it may not fit with your scheme. It may not fit with your plan. So if it's not fitting with your plan, then it's going to look off to the fan base. So then the fan base will have their input. Um, so just understand it from both sides. You know what what the goals are. What are we trying to accomplish? Playing defense, I think I might add, is, is a great way to start to change the mindset of, of what people think of you and how you can affect the game and how you can support your team. You know, those guys, I think, that, that use that angle of defense um, is, is, is very smart to do. Uh, of those two guys, I think Bonga has probably made the, the biggest impression as a defender because he's long and big but still quick enough to, to cut people off. But, you know, occasionally you'll just see him standing around as this guy beats him back door or something. And I think, you know, to your point, that's, that's being young, but at least the effort seems to be there. The, the thing I remember hearing over the summer that I liked about Troy Brown, uh, you know, when they were at Summer League, 
he was from Vegas. He got all the guys together, came and brought him over for a meal, brought his barber, you know, like did stuff to try to like rally the guys and, and be a leader, even on the summer league team. I think that that bodes well for him as kind of a, a major member of the team. No, that, that is important. That is important. The guys now have access to the do's and the don'ts. And that, that's one of the do's is to, you know, build that camaraderie, uh, build that, that partnership, allow people into your, your personal space, allow teams, your teammates into your personal space. That stuff goes a long way when you're trying to, to win championships. And I know every guy that's putting that jersey on, they really want to win championships, whether it's realistic or not at the time. But I think that that's their goal. So, you know, shout out to him for, for understanding the do's and the don'ts as a young guy, you know, because that stuff goes a long way uh, in, in heat of the battles. You know, you mess up on a rotation, you know, you can have a, hey, remember when we were at my house, you know, getting a haircut, that stuff goes a long way. All right. Well, you're at home waiting out the rest of this quarantine, which, you know, never seems to fully end, but at least we're headed in the right direction. Make sure that you're still getting your betting fill with our partner, betonline.ag. No NBA for now, no NHL or MLB, but hopefully they're on the way. But until then, Bet Online still has uh, tons of games and events and other sports that you can wager on. So things like NASCAR or Madden and NBA, 2K uh, simulations, UFC, online poker and blackjack. Uh, and also be sure to check out their, their final dance roundtable interviews. So Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, Ron Harper, a lot of the you know, those era Chicago Bulls got together and, and talked about the documentary, The Last Dance in Full. So encourage you to check that out. Uh, so there's still plenty of fun to be had at betonline.ag. So make sure you use the promo code MYPOD100. That's M-Y-P-O-D-1-0-0 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Kind of the last personnel-related question that we got here. You know, what do you think about the you know, them resigning Davis Bertans at this point? You know, maybe he's played his way into a tougher contract, but is it just sort of money dependent, or what? What, what do you think about keeping him long term? I think you, you you try to keep him. I think you understand. We understand what the value that he's bringing to the table, but it is a numbers game. Um, it's the projections on where he sees himself again. It all depends on what the player, how the player feels, what's their goals, what are they looking for. Um, and then you have to match up with the organization. So I think that he's he's definitely created value uh, within his his basketball game. And now you have the other teams that are be shooting for his abilities and his talents uh, to come and help them out. He's been with you guys, so you have the upper hand. So I think that we should act accordingly. You know, he came off the bench a lot this year to sort of help them feature Rui Hachimura as sort of the the lottery pick and you know, to your point about you really need to see if he's going to be okay with that long term, because then you've kind of created an issue for yourself if if you bring two guys in with the expectation that they're the starting power forward next year. Yeah, I, I do, I do. And then you you know you commit dollars to someone that you know that that's not necessarily happy in that role. So I think communication is like like all things, man. Communication is a huge part of being successful and, and knowing you know, where everybody stands. I mean, players love when, you know, we know where the coach stands, you know, the general manager stands, even the owner for that matter, you know, where those guys stand. And I think it's, it's on the flip side of that, just making sure that the office knows where the player stands. I think we can be more successful that way. Is that why certain players are more likely to go to a certain organization from a culture perspective, because they feel like they can take that at face value a little bit more? Uh, does that play into it? It's very important. 
with today's game, I mean, relationships are king. Uh, you see as the number of you know, former players are now in, in media, uh, in front offices, uh, on, on sidelines. So relationships are, are, are king. Uh, when you have direct com communication and that communication is, is forthcoming, uh, it just bodes for um, a completely just powerful situation. You know, we, we, everyone knows, you know, what's on the table. You know, one of the other things that a lot of folks asked about is, is your move to the Cavs? And, and I keep getting asked that question too. And I just sort of said that, you know, it, it sounded like, you know, it wasn't the sort of maybe the best dealing between you and that current front office and, and maybe the, you know, not necessarily like a good faith offer on their part. And you, you got to feel the love as a player, I think, and know that you can trust the, you know, what they're saying is actually what they mean and that they value you. Yeah, I think so. I think, but every player is different. You know, every player is different, right? I, I was a player that your market is set. You understand what your value is. You probably ultimately know what dollar amount you're going to get, whether it comes from this place or it comes from that place. So with me in that situation, I, I didn't want to get into a negotiation process going back and forth about the value that you felt you were placing on me when the league consensus is it's going to be this dollar amount. Mm -hmm. So from a hometown team or, you know, just coming from that situation, you expect to get what the offer should be, right? Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I expected. And that didn't happen. And for me, it was like, okay, I understand the value of myself. So I'm not even going to wait on you guys to figure out what my value is. I'm going to go to a place where I know that they understand my value. And also I have a really good chance of winning a championship. So it was like, you know, the comparison was, was real. That's one of those things where, you know, maybe if the team making the other offer that's slightly better is the worst team in the Eastern Conference or something like that, then then maybe it's it, there's more of a discussion there. But, you know, you're a competitive guy and you want to win. And it's to go to another good situation. It, it just I can't imagine that that's that's not disrespectful to you as a player to have to like haggle with with the guys you just had an amazing year for. I, I would be offended, I think. That, that's exactly what it was. I mean, everybody wants their value to be understood. Hmm. And when you give what you give, uh, you have that communication that you're willing to give everything that you have left, then the expectations are different, you know, from a player standpoint. And again, but it's also up to management to make sure that they're doing the right things for themselves. So they, they've created their value. Yep. So for players, and I like to always say that we should make the best decision for ourselves because the teams are going to do the same. So when you have that understanding, no one can get upset with the other person because we all have options and we all have value. And fans somewhat get kind of roped into that because they've created this this partnership with the organization that they don't always see both sides of the, of, of the table. Uh, but again, it's conversations like this, it's platforms like this that we can, you know, share some of that information. Uh, great relationship with Ernie and, and Tommy. I mean, it was just, um, you know, the value prop that they that they placed. It wasn't. It wasn't something that I saw that made sense, and, and I was able to, to move on to a different situation. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, too, what, what those conversations look like now with social media and, and the availability of like just different, different avenues to express yourself. It, I think it's starting to fare things up a little bit from the organization versus player side of that. Um, you hear a decent amount of like, well, you know, clearly the, the team said they wanted this guy, so why didn't this guy stay? And it's and there's a lot of factors going into that. And of course, as a player, or as a, a general manager, if a player's popular, you're going to say, oh yeah, we tried to keep him, whether or not you really made a good faith offer or not. Very, Very true. 
uh, just a follow up to that, I think one of the questions we got is, you know, if you had stayed in DC and the team had still made the deal to add Karan Butler on the wing there, what do you think a ceiling for a team like that would have would have been? Is that a fifty win team, Eastern Conference Finals? Like, what what would you have seen there? I'll put us in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, I, I think with with that makeup, I mean, we were very you know comparable to those guys when I when I went to to Cleveland. I mean, there was just you know one game here or a play here or there that could have sent uh, those guys to the Eastern Conference Finals as it sent us to the to the semis and then to the to the finals. Uh, so I think it's it's a good possibility um, with those pieces. I, I know Karan, I know how hard he played. I know the makeup of the guys that would have been there. So yeah, that that's 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 an interesting uh, interesting add to what we already had uh, that would have would have definitely made the team stronger. I think the dimension that you brought to to those teams that that they didn't have um, in in other years was another ball handler that was not only focused on defending people but could facilitate for others and. You know, you and Gilbert, you could be on off ball and be kind of interchangeable in that role. And, um, you know, Deshaun was the starting two guard on those teams after you left and you played hard on D. He could hit spot up threes, but he wasn't really like creating for anybody else. And I think that was probably the biggest thing that that team missed was secondary creators. And, you know, and that was a value. And I definitely would always pride myself in I was going to I was going to do what I did. You know, I was gonna I was gonna get 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 my job done, uh, but I did want to make sure I wanted to make plays. I wanted to be on the person that's supposed to score all the points for the other team, or who's going to make the team run, whether it was a point guard or whether it was a small forward. You know, that was always you know my matchup. Whoever was the guy that was the offensive player, you know, that was that was my matchup. I can remember early on, even in Cleveland, Carmelo was my matchup as opposed to you know Bron taking that matchup. Sure. Um, just because that's that was my mentality, and uh, you know the team respected me for that. How hard was Carmelo to guard in his heyday? Tough man, tough. I mean, he he doesn't necessarily get grouped in a lot of my conversations uh, because we talk about the hardest to guard. Um, I think I maybe got a couple years guarding you know Melo. So T Mac and Kobe is always you know that one and two, but mm-hmm. he's tough man. Just with, with no dribbles, the jab steps, uh, the mid range game. Uh, but also he was sneaky athletic and he didn't look like he was explosive, but he was very explosive. Uh, so he's definitely one of those, one of those top, you know, tough guards, to, guys to guard. I think we've already talked about the importance of this a little bit today, but one of the things I, I as a amateur watcher always think sets the the top guys apart is, is that footwork. Kobe had unreal footwork. Paul Pierce had tough footwork. Carmelo has good footwork. Something I feel like guys don't emphasize enough with younger players. Is that fair? I, it's very fair. And, and I, you know, I admit that, that I don't think that I spent enough time on just straight footwork game, mm-hmm. just working on, you know, the inside pivot, the jab, you know, where the foot placement world that goes, uh, because now I'm teaching my son about footwork. Sure. And I understand that it's very important. I mean, to understand angles. I mean, that's how you create the angles is with your footwork. Um, and then you allow that, that basketball to follow you. So these are all the things that I've, you know, obviously been watching film and, and understanding my game and, you know, watching these players that play so well uh, off the pivot or off the mid post. I mean, that's that's all footwork um, and really just showing now how important it is for the youth to learn, you know, proper footwork. It's not fun. It's not the sexy part of the game, uh, but it is very, very crucial in being successful. I think there's probably a 
even more of a, you know, a need for that the way the NBA is played today too, where everybody's so spread out. You, you don't really need the quickest first step to get by somebody, but if, if you have the right, you know, ability to kind of get a head start on them, it just seems like, you know, like look at Luca, like he's clearly not the fastest guy on the court, but he can get into the lane at will. It seems like. Yep. And, and that's all footwork and it's all a change of pace and taking your body from limp to, to strong. I mean, all of these things that these guys do, as as we watch TV, I mean there there is a, a art, you know, and a science to to how these guys move, and you wonder how they're so effective is because of, like you said, it's that footwork and creating those angles where people can't get in front of you if you create the proper angle, and that's really what Luca does is he he creates an angle that only you know he can get to that spot, mm-hmm. and then he uses his body to bump you off to get to the next spot. So I, I love what he's doing on the footwork side. Very cool. I, I hope that's the kind of stuff that, you know, once we get like actual basketball back, we can, we can break down for people because th- that's so interesting to me. That's, that's what I enjoy. You know, that's what I enjoy, right? We want to create the madness, but how do we get to the madness? Yep. I love it. Um, all right. Just a couple quick hitters here. Uh, favorite traits in a teammate when you were playing? Uh, communication, a fighter, uh, meaning, um, I never give up attitude um, and just a quality character. So that's, if you say you're going to do something, then that's what you do. And those are the guys that I, that I get along very well with. Didn't necessarily have to be the guy that you'd most want to hang out with off court or anything like that. It's just somebody you could trust with that. They were going to do what they said, right? Yeah. Somebody that I can trust, you know, a lot of those relationships, they make it off the court. Because, again, we're playing basketball, so a lot of these relationships, they start between those lines, and then they obviously, you know, they venture, you know, into the homes, into the, to the kitchen table, you know, to those powwows. But for sure, man, it's like um, if I can count on you, um, we both have mutual respect, and you say that you're going to do what you're going to do, and I know that you're never going to give up on me, like we're, we're good. You know, we're good. Let's go. Favorite memory as a wizard? Uh, favorite memory as a wizard would have to be probably beating the Bulls uh, for that playoff run. Uh, we we had just put so much into it and battled those guys. And coming from the year that we had, you know, prior to that, uh, we had expectations. So uh, when you go into a season with expectations of making it to the playoffs, and then you're able to, our goal was to make it to the playoffs so we can begin to to start you know, those blocks of, of creating, you know, winning year after year. And it, it had to start with just making it to the playoffs. So our goal was to make it to the playoffs and was icing on the cake was to really compete um, and play the Bulls and win that series. Uh, because again, what we thought at the time is that we were building the blocks for success for years and years and years to come. It just didn't turn out that way. But for me, I think that that's one of the highlights of, of my time there uh, is definitely the Bulls and, you know, the relationships that the, those guys that I have, you know, with that are on that team sticks to this day. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite memories as a fan, too. Uh, favorite city, favorite and least favorite city uh, to play in while you were in the league? Uh, favorite city was D.C. Uh, with an asterisk with, with Cleveland because we won a lot of games in Cleveland. Sure. Uh, so that was that was the fun part about it. D.C. is one of those cities, man, where it's um, – uh, just a lot of different people. Um, I'm from St. Louis, so it's not necessarily a walking city. Uh, mm-hmm. But in D.C., there's a lot of walking around. Um, 
I like to you know get out and just watch people and just people watch. So it was fun to be just in that community. Uh, the team, the fans, they came out uh, to support uh, all the, the the sporting teams. Uh, so the, the great fan base was was in D.C. And then probably the least favorite, uh, I gave an asterisk for the for the, my most favorite. It's probably my least favorite as well. Uh, it's Cleveland. Cleveland was just uh, the city. I mean, it was always gray. Uh, you know, they say it's the best time. Cold up there too. Yeah, yeah it's like the, the best time. Of, you know, to be in Cleveland is like any off season when I'm going back to St. Louis. So I never got a chance to experience that. But when I was in Cleveland, I just wish that there was more life uh, mm-hmm. within the city. Like the second time when Bron came around, um, it would have made the experience probably a, a little bit more um, exciting. Yeah, it sounds like they've done a lot in the last couple of years, especially to like really build up, you know, the buzz around the arena and things like that. Oh, yeah, it's nice around there now. I just I did an, an appearance there, mm-hmm. um, I guess, right before this this COVID kicked in um, and it looked totally different. Um, the fan experience, the fan engagement, all of that stuff is 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 because of LeBron James. I can imagine that helps uh, and, and some championships get some buzz going, too. Uh, any rule changes you'd want to see to to make the game more interesting, whether it's a bigger court or a four point line or you know different numbers of fouls, that kind of stuff. I think we should get rid of the number of technical fouls before you are suspended, mm-hmm. and I think that we should allow more of the competitive nature of trash talking or looking, you know, in today's game to come back to the game. You know, a, a stare gets a technical foul, which later on in the season can result in a guy being suspended for a playoff game or, or for a regular season game or for any game for that matter. Um, and I just think that that's one of the, the one of the deals that's uh, ingrained in basketball for so long. The bravado, the excitement, the I'm better than you um, sort of competition that goes along in basketball. I think that we've stripped that out of, out of the NBA, and I'd like to see that that come back a little bit. Yeah, fans love to see that edge. I mean, it's not just I dunked on this guy, but I also gave him the look while he was on the ground too. Like that, yeah. that gets people just as hyped. That's a good call. Uh, favorite basketball movie? Uh, favorite basketball movie? Uh, one that comes to mind is Above the Rim. Above the Rim, I'm a Tupac fan. Uh, so that's, that's quality in my book. Uh, and also had a good good storyline of, of, you know, just growing up in the park and, you know, how the guys come in and try to, you know, take over the situation with, you know, betting on games and putting the best team together and not necessarily because of neighborhood or, or talent or just because of the money that they can buy you some shoes or buy you a warm-up jacket. Uh, so that's, that's one of my favorites. The ultimate disrespect is dropping buckets on a guy while you're, while you're wearing corduroy pants. I mean <laughs> – Shep, Shep, man, I love that. That's so funny. That's my favorite part of that movie is just he's like got no gear and just just destroys dudes. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, in your opinion, what's the hardest thing to do in another sport? So that could be hitting a major league fastball, returning a tennis serve, throwing a you know sixty yard spiral to a receiver, whatever. Pitching. Mm. Major league pitching. That's like. I've done a few uh, ceremonial tosses out there, and I can imagine, man, just throwing a 90 mile an hour, just you know, hitting that glove, throwing it over that little, you know, that little plate from that distance. That's something that's that's special. 
It's a lot further than it looks, too. I think yeah. people don't realize that when they see it on TV. Let's see. Uh, last one here, a little bit of a pivot. There have been a lot of these sort of um, music artist MC battles on Instagram Live and things like that. I guess a couple weeks ago, I have not watched this one yet, but it was a Nelly versus Ludacris battle. I don't know if you caught this at all or, or saw any of that, but if, if you got to pick who you got of those two, I think I have a guess, but... Man, I, I'm a, I'm a hometown guy, right? So so I'm always gonna go, you know, with the hometown guy. You know, that guy uh, has a lot of hits. Uh, but at the same time, I did watch that battle. Okay. And and you know, I'm from St. Louis, but a lot of people from St. Louis they make their way to Atlanta. So it's mm-hmm. almost like you know, St. Louis and Atlanta. We have a, a very very close connection uh, to Atlanta. So I support those guys too. But I think in that battle. Atlanta won that battle. I got you. Atlanta won that battle because it was all business. I think we just had a little bit different approach to what that, you know, versus was going to be. So he came in with, you know, kind of the party and he was having a good time. And Ludacris was like, let's go. Like he was locked in. So I would have to give the advantage um, to ATL on that one. But we had a lot of hits that, that St. Louis didn't play that night and it may be because he was just having such a good time partying uh but we can compete we can I definitely like it. Compete yeah that's that's what you want is a good competitor you don't want to blow out yeah a, a buddy of mine sent me the link to that today so i'm, I'm gonna give that a listen later <laughs> and catch back up uh okay larry i think i hit the majority of the questions we got here a lot of people ask the same sort of thing so mm-hmm. um hit the high notes uh anything you want to end with here before we call today no, no, that that's good. We appreciate, you know, the, the questions and the comments. Uh, just obviously, as we go through this time, just using the platform to get insightful on things that you may or may not know about myself or uh, about the playing career of the days. Um, just a little bit of insider uh, on my thought process, not necessarily what happens, you know, in the back room or the locker room chatter talks, but just there's always a different, you know, thought process and the mindset uh, that we may not be aware of. So just shedding some light on that and having some fun with it. Um, and, you know, I love D.C., so any questions from D.C. in my days there, uh, definitely I want to answer all of those questions I can answer. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for being so uh, upfront and stuff. I think this is the kind of thing that, that fans really get a kick out of, too, and it's the kind of insight you, you didn't get, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So glad we can, we can bring this to folks. Uh, again, everybody, if you like what you're hearing, check us out, rate, re, uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Make sure to hit the little download button and, you know, drop us a line. We'll probably do follow-ups to this and let us know who you want to hear from and what voices we can bring to you. Uh, until next week, uh, I'm Matt, he's Larry and, uh, have a good week, everyone. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.